Welcome to the Recording Library of West Texas Award-Winning Book Club. On this show, we feature fiction books that have recently won literary awards. We'll discuss writing style, characters, plot, and more aspects connected with this month's featured book, along with some fun questions. We will also pair the book with wine, so stay tuned for our thoughts and reviews of today's wine sampling. Now welcome our host, staff, and volunteers from the Recording Library of West Texas, for our award-winning book club. Hi, this is Trish Spate. We're here again with the award-winning book club at the Recording Library. Our book for August is called Normal People by Sally Rooney. And this is the winner of the On Post, I think is how you say that, award, and also the Costa Book of the Year award. So we're going to start off with introductions. So to my right, and we actually have an engineer who is also a reader this time. Hi, I'm Abby. And then on my left, I'm Iris. I'm Patrick. Patrick. Okay, and also right across from me is... Melanie Size. So we'll read the book award info first, and Patrick has the book award info about these two lovely awards. The On Post Irish Book Awards are a set of industry recognition standards set up by a coalition of Irish booksellers in 2007. The awards are owned by Irish Book Awards Limited, a not-for-profit company presided over by a board. Nominees are submitted by publishers. On Post is the state-owned provider of postal services in the Republic of Ireland. The winners. They are decided by an online web poll divided into two constituencies, a public vote, and a specialist academy vote, weighted equally and combined to produce the winners. The purpose of the academy vote is to counterbalance the potential skewing effect of campaigning in the public vote. For example, a title may accumulate a massive public vote, but if academy support is slight, success is unlikely. Winning titles must score heavily in both constituencies. In the event of a tie, the academy vote counts as decisive. The Voting Academy comprises around 300 booksellers, librarians, non-shortlisted authors, reviewers, and journalists. Costa Book Awards. These are a set of annual literary awards recognizing English-language books by writers based in Britain and Ireland. They were inaugurated for 1971 publications and known as the Whitbread Book Awards until 2006, when Costa Coffee, a subsidiary of Whitbread, took over sponsorship. Books are nominated by book publishers. The awards are given both for high literary merit, but also for words that are enjoyable reading and whose aim is to convey the enjoyment of reading to the widest possible audience. As such, they are a more populist literary prize than the Booker Prize. Authors need not be British or Irish, but they must have been resident in the UK or Ireland for at least six months in each of the previous three years. Each of the category winners receives £5,000, and the overall winner receives a further £30,000. Judging. For each category, there are three judges. Generally, an author, a bookseller, and a journalist, who select a short list of four books, which includes the winner. The judge's brief is to select well-written, enjoyable books that they would strongly recommend anyone to read. A nine-member judging panel, including the author from each of the original category, judging panels, together with a chairman and three other people in the public eye who love reading, 
then read the five winners and select one of them as the overall Costa Book of the Year. Cool. So there is a cash prize for the Costa, mm-hmm. but I did, could not find anything about a cash prize for the On Post or Post, they, the Irish Post, even though it's been around a while and it's a fairly big award. But anyway, so no money for that one, but the other one is pretty significant. So All right. And now Iris is going to read our about the author. Sally Rooney was born in Castlebar in 1991 and grew up there. Rooney studied English at Trinity College Dublin, where she was elected a scholar in 2011. She started but did not complete a master's degree in politics there, but completed a degree in American literature instead. Rooney was the top speaker at the European University Debating Championships in 2013. Before becoming a writer, she worked in administration for a restaurant. She lives in Dublin. Book Summary The novel is about the complex friendship and relationship between two teenagers, Connell and Marianne, who both attend the same secondary school in County Sligo and later Trinity College Dublin. It is set during the 2000s downturn period. In the book's story, Connell is a popular, handsome, and highly intelligent high schooler who begins a relationship with unpopular, intimidating, and intelligent Marianne, whose parents employ his mother as a cleaner. Connell keeps the affair secret from school friends out of shame, but ends up attending Trinity alongside her after the summer and reconciling. Well-off Marianne blossoms at university, becoming pretty and popular, while Connell struggles to fit in properly for the first time in his life. The pair weave in and out of each other's lives across their university years, developing an intense bond that brings to light the traumas and insecurities that make them both who they are. TV series. On May 30th, 2019, it was announced that a TV series based on the novel will premiere in 2020. Distributors will be BBC Three in the UK and on TV and Hulu 2020 USA TV. Filmed in Dublin, Ireland and Sligo, Ireland, series writing credits will go to Sally Rooney for 12 episodes. I included that little snippet there about the TV show since we do talk about that. And I did find it on IMDb. It's already been cast and in production. Cool. So they'll be, I don't know how they could get more than 12 episodes out of it, but it's a 200-page book. That's only about, what, I don't know, less than 15 pages an episode. It depends on how much they embellish. True. That poetic license. And Mm -hmm. the actress, it's an Irish, obviously, they're Irish. And the actress is English, but I think the actor is is Irish. Anyway, there wasn't much information on it because it's still in production. I'm going to start off with first question from our normal questions <laughs> that we do. Let's just start with what was your opinion of the book as you read it? <laughs> that, so that's a, is that a commentary on writing style or character, everything? Yes. You shouldn't like it. I didn't like the title because it didn't <laughs> explain the book. Okay. Cool. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the conversational tone, and I'm a sucker for accents. So th- that's kind of a... So you listened. I did. And, the, and Abby... I listened the, and you, read. You listened as well. So I did not listen this time at all. So what did you think of the audio version? Audio version of people? Yeah, I enjoyed it listening to it some of it was like the storyline wasn't incredibly interesting but there were different 
parts about it, like the fact that she was a history major or history and politics and some of the some of the character development I liked, but I don't think I would have enjoyed reading it. So like listening to it was kind of So that might have added to it. Yeah. I think that might have added to it because I think Iris and I can say that if in the print version there are no quotation marks around when they're actually saying things. So at first you have to get like I was like, is this something that they're thinking, or she did she think that, or did she say that out loud to him? And then you can kind of t- you had to it was like clues you had to tell from his response. Did she really say that? But then I started thinking about it afterwards, and I thought, well, maybe we're not meant to know what was said and what was thought in some ways. Although what y'all are telling me from the audio version, did you? Get well, it's in contextual, but yeah. then again, I was listening to actors, so of, yeah. of course they were talking here, and of course, you yeah, know, it sounded like a conversation. <laughs> and there's a there's an element of suspense about it because I kept yeah. thinking. Really? <laughs> really? Come on, really? Yeah, just say it. Yeah, but I do think, okay, so character, let's go to, we'll just go ahead and go to characters. So we have this couple meeting in high school. She's the outcast, but he's the super popular in boy. She's from a wealthy family. He's not. class. Definitely a class problem there, which he carries with him. He didn't even realize it, which seems so male. <laughs> <laughs> That he didn't, it didn't all. There's a lot of inner stereotyping that goes on. (laughs) Really? Until he went to college and then he was like, oh, yeah, I'm a hick. That's what they call him. I had to look up that word, that Irish word they call him. It's spelled C-U-L-C-H-I-E, but it's it's instead of, I thought it would be pronounced culchy, but it's pronounced clutchy. And it literally means means hick. hick. Like, yeah, country boy. What we call townies yeah. in Georgetown. And, uh, what did she tell him at one time? I was like, oh, this must be a really good Irish insult. A milk drinking clutchy. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about the characters. It's obviously, it's all these two, mainly their main characters, peripheral characters that are, that are necessary to move the story along. But it is primarily their points of view, which I kind of, how do y'all feel about that? Like you got his her point of view and then it would immediately switch to his inner I, I like dialogue. the limited omniscient narrator kind of vibe um, I, I kind of thought that she was the heroine of the story more than him mm-hmm. but I don't know if everybody would agree with that or not I think she was the, definitely the protagonist protagonist yeah I would say that I don't um, think either one of them were worthy of hero status <laughs> they were both a bunch of bumblers but what's so sad is art imitates life right true <laughs> Were you critical of, and how did they say it? Connell? Connell. 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 It's Connell. Connell, okay. Like Conwell without a W. Were y'all critical of the way he treated her in school, or were you sympathetic towards his very teenager-y self-consciousness? It was typical. Guy doesn't want to be seen except with the prettiest girls. Mm-hmm. I thought he was a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> I was um, I was critical. But yeah. then I remembered my own youth and I thought, well, may, would I do that if I was in his position? And so, well, I think we can go with relatively small community. Yeah. Sure, always worse about that kind of thing. And I was critical. Yeah, I was like, he's being, why is he treating her like this? Um, but then, you know, this is the hindsight of a 50 year old person. I'm going to say I'm 50. <laughs> um, <laughs> not yet. This is truth or dare. But the, I'm 49. <laughs> But it's hard to remember, and 
put yourself in the place of a kid. <laughs> you can be honest. Okay, so we were talking about that our opinion of Connell, which that's mm-hmm. the way you say it. Cha- like mine, I was super critical of him, and then I was trying to put myself back into that high school, like being so overly concerned with what your peers think of you that he would treat this girl so badly because of that, and that she didn't call him on it. And his mom didn't call him on it till the end, till the end of high school when he didn't invite her to the dance. The dibs. What Even, do you think about that? Uh, is that a cultural thing? Because I think moms would tear him a new one here. I definitely got like a strong cultural thing. Like now that she, like when she was mad at him in the car, she was like, let me out of the car because I'm going to say something I'll regret. And I'm like, I think I would have oh, just say. gone right ahead and said it. <laughs> right. And let him have it. But. I, got, I did get a strong, like all that, that small community and that she was an Irish mother and that maybe that's that small town mom. And she wasn't that much older than he was. Yeah. So not like a generation apart, like normal. Yeah. Maybe she felt like she couldn't say anything that he, you know, because she didn't know what it, it's like to be a teenage boy, but she sure as heck knows what it's like to be a teenage girl and get knocked up. And I think she had him with a... 15? Mm-hmm. Was it? Six, it's young teenager, yeah. So, did you, Melanie, did you, did you, what did you think of him and the way he treated? Um, I thought it was a very accurate depiction of just that whole dynamic. I really did. I could see it, and it, it does give you a point of view from a different side. You know, I think. Most of us spend a lot of time relating, obviously, to what is most like us. So I can always think from a woman's perspective when I'm giving advice to my daughters. But I did find I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, I think this makes some sense. And then it can part of me is like, wow, this makes some sense for some previous relationships. I'm like, I get it. It's just a whole different point of view. Okay, so let's just diverge for a minute off the subject. Do you remember your first boyfriend or girlfriend? Yeah. And how? What links did you go to to make that happen, and then to keep it happening? (laughs) Or to, I mean, and how much did you care about what your friends thought about that person? Absolutely, like that was so much more important, especially in high school. But I think on some level that just goes on throughout. You want that approval. Because somehow it is a little bit of a reflection on you, mm-hmm. you know. You realize how jealous guys are and girls are about any other thing that comes along. You're like, really? Yeah. And the shallowness of, it made me think about my own shallowness. Because we're all, we all have a little of that, I think. With the exception of Mother Teresa. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know. uh, I've never felt like that. Well, and I think it was interesting. I'm very much aware of my internal dialogue and my communication or my relationships. But kind of like you were saying earlier, I don't think about the guy's perspective as much. Like to me, I'm just like, y'all are being jerks. You know, there's I don't realize that there's actually a thought process going through why you're acting and behaving that way. Yes. And so just hearing that, especially whenever like just when he was in high school, was just interesting and i kind of found it humorous like oh <laughs> this makes sense you know? mm-hmm. so was it did it seem to y'all like tropey like that like oh i don't know what i'm trying to say like sort of just a commonality with teenage boys 
I wondered if they were sort of pain, if she was sort of giving him a one-dimensional air in that first section of the book when they're in high school. Because he's the football star and all that, yeah. so he should have the it, gorgeous girl. It depends girls. on the kid, but, you know, my 50-year-old self talking to my 15-year-old self, I probably would have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. Or at some point, some of his choices are just not, he's, I don't know, kids are not thinking, I don't know, especially boys, I guess, I would say. I'm thinking. Well, and Connell seemed especially conscious yeah, of yeah. that. So, do, and then, just, but so conscious of that, but so like unaware of the fact that even though he's popular and an athlete and all that, but she says, like she says about him, he always wears the same shoes. He's obviously from a lower income socioeconomic status than all these other kids. And his mom being the person who cleans her house, her family home. Mm-hmm. Connell's not much mm-hmm. of a risk taker. He, he might take a risk. Well, I don't know how. The, the author doesn't say how they met exactly because she goes off to meet him in the beginning. But even when he has a chance to, to be with her, he doesn't ask. All he has to do is ask, and he just assumes. So there's a lot of assumption going on with Connell, and he's, it's all about me. He's a normal person. (laughs) (laughs) So, there was one thing I read that, that her books, that someone had said about them, she, the author, had said that someone had told her when they were reading it that you just took a 19th century sort of like a Pride and Prejudice or Jane Austen or something like that and moved it into the this to make it this time period that the trappings are all of the time sure. there's a lot of phone there's a lot of email a lot of phone again a lot of email again well and we're you know 2000s so yeah. we're gonna have that yeah <laughs> but that the, the basic story of the star-crossed lovers the people who can't quite say what they mean want is sort of a old theme it was kind of to me like the when Harry met Sally with, but they had sex. <laughs> a lot of sex. <laughs> okay, we have to say, yeah. Here's yeah. The, now here's I had the, to be careful where I was listening to it. <laughs> I was listening on a plane, and it, when I got off of the plane, I realized that my earphones were kind of loud, and I was just thinking, oh, the poor lady next to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, she probably enjoyed it. That's right. She's like, what is with this girl? It was girl? fairly tasteful. It's like I phone thought. sex, you know? Well, Ida, it was, I would tasteful in that, like, there wasn't a lot there wasn't of descriptions of right. body parts and stuff yeah. like that, but it was explicit. Yeah, there, there, there was a lot of sex. I mean, they were definitely in a sexual relationship. They were in a clandestine one for most of the time, mm-hmm. which is a little kinky. <laughs> Not yeah. wanting anybody to know. It says, think Pride and Prejudice with hangovers and finals thrown in. Yeah. With that and uh, no, no definitions to anything. Mm-hmm. She's not my girlfriend. She's just there. No yeah. labels, yeah. No labels. Okay, so then they go to college, and then how do our opinion, how, how did y'all's opinions change once they, once they got there? Once the tables turned? Yeah. <laughs> big fish goes to, the big fish in the little pond went to the big pond. And he's little and fish. He's just a little fish. Yeah. That happens. Mm-hmm. That happened to my husband. Definitely. He was the big deal in high school. And then he went to college and not such a big deal. I think they were both sapiosexuals, meaning that they were attracted to brainy people. You know? Oh, that's what that means? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like 
like that label. I like that. Okay, say that again. Sapiosexual. They like the mindset. They like each other's minds quite a bit. And, you know, you could tell the characters in, in the book, they could tell that they were around other boyfriends and girlfriends, but they aren't quite, didn't have the personality. Uh, yeah, I got a little academ- academia snobbery around some of those yeah. things. Like when he goes to the book and he's like, then nobody even read the book. And he, mm-hmm. he could just tell. And that sort of that academic snobbery, not really. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did too, actually. Why? I feel like that's why he connected with her so much and would look at other people and go, I'm not really even listening to what she's saying. I'm just, you know, and is aware that he's not really listening. Mm-hmm. And then he starts to think about her, about Marianne. Cause. But why, when she was so bright and, and felt secure in her knowledge, did she allow herself to be treated by those other men like she did? Well, she was being abused by her brother, for one thing. Right. But yeah. then those two men, Jamie and whoever that other guy was. I think she had... I've, she had an ex. There's a line in there somewhere. I'll try to find it about an expectation that she would always be mistreated. That that was ingrained in. Mm-hmm. And she would Even never be. She, she wouldn't be loved. Together at the end, sort of, and she expects one thing of him, and then it blows up. It's because she's used to that happening in her relationships. What did? Okay, I have a question. What did y'all think of the part whenever? Whenever Connell had that strange desire come over him to like want to hit her, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it was just that was it. It it moved on and it never really talked about. And that it scared again. him. Yeah, it scared him. That was strange. Did y'all? I don't know. What were your thoughts about that? I think it was a power thing that he enjoyed how much she enjoyed him, and that was one thing he had was that she would just melt in his presence, and so he he knew that she would do that, and he relished it. Control. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. And I think I definitely feel the same way. It was definitely about power. And I think it did scare him because it was also sort of an intimate form of power. He didn't want. Like he felt it, that emotion that he could have hit her and she would have let him. But at the same time, he was disgusted with himself for feeling that because that was such a bad thing. Like, he knew it was wrong. Right. Well, and neither of them were really kinky, you know. Not she, really. She dates the kinky guy because she has, she has to do something. Dates? I don't know. Oh, yeah. the Jamie guy. She does. Yeah. yeah. The, the, so she does put herself in that position. And then early on, he talks about how he never really enjoys his sexual experiences. Only with her. Only with her. And he, oh, and he, he seems yeah. to always feel disgusted. Yes. Especially with himself. Uh, yes. So that's an interesting theme. I think it's because they're really in love or right. emotionally that's, attached to each other in yes. a deep way, but they said so they feel wrong when they're with other people. But, but neither of them has the either he for him not taking risks and she's she's maybe waiting for him to do something. So they never really no one really admits to their feelings. They just kind of skate around them. So they drift. Yes. Together, apart, back together. Along that same line. So we'll direct this to Patrick. What I thought about with her, so it's not explicit, but yeah, she evidently goes into some bondage and some hitting during sex. But not with that, so all with these boyfriends, or two in particular boyfriends, that she's not in love with she's just in a relationship with and in fact she feels very detached from them mm-hmm. do you, it occurred to me 
So her dad hit her mother, her brother, and probably and hit her too. Mm-hmm. Her brother hit and abused her, and like I said, she the thing about that she thought that that's just the way men were. Mm-hmm. She was it was almost like conditioned. Mm-hmm. She was conditioned to expect that. That her saying she saying she liked bondage when I don't think she really did was her way of retaking that power yes. away from them. That's her way of controlling it because it's her decision. That's and probably can, true. Yeah. And I can just go somewhere else and you can hit me all you want. Right. Well, then when she asked Connell to do that, <clears throat> I think she's in the spot of show me you love me. Because that's what people do when mm-hmm. they show you they love you. Smack. Mm-hmm. Smack, smack. Sad. Yeah. I think anyway. No, I think that, but it's probably more prevalent. I mean, everybody always wonders why abused women stay. And at some point they leave. But when they're in the staying part, I think that they detach. And they can figure, they can mm-hmm. say, I'm going to take control of this situation by asking for it. None of them know how to control their feelings <laughs> at all. <laughs> it's just like. So would you say they lack emotional intelligence? Yeah, big <laughs> Quite <time>. a bit. <laughs> I felt this. Ah, I'm going to run downstairs and get a cab and beat him to the cab. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was very childish. I'm going to go back to the reader's guide questions. So with Marianne, Connell feels a sense of total privacy in which he could tell her anything about himself, even weird things. And she would never repeat them. He knows that. And being alone with her is like opening a door away from normal life and then closing it behind him. Why do you think he's sometimes unnerved by the intensity of that intimate connection? And why do you think he's unsettled by the sense that Marianne would do anything to please him? We kind of talked about that one already, but that first one is he's unnerved by the intense and intimate connection. Because he doesn't have any other relationships, I mean, like with his mother and so forth, that has any kind of intensity. It's all very superficial with his mother. Mm. Yeah, like new love. Got like a new love. Kind he, he's not used to being vulnerable with anybody, really vulnerable. Even the other girlfriends he's not vulnerable with. His mom, he barely says much to. And then Marianne, he finds himself like being vulnerable, like he can't help himself. And it's like, what am I doing? So I feel safe, but I shouldn't. Like yeah. he's trying to talk himself out of it. He's the typical emotionally unavailable guy. <laughs> <laughs> It shows you a little bit about uh, the cultural norms, how, for, for whatever reason, it's not cool to do that. Yeah, I think that that's touched on just a little tiny bit when he's talking, to, when the guy, the friend of theirs from commits suicide. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the, that he particularly remembers things about that boy. And one of the things he remembers about him was on the soccer field. They, he had scored a goal and it was jubilation and it was like he jumps on him and kisses him on the head and stuff like that and how that's totally appropriate in that setting to be that demonstrative but then he can't be like that that's it's not okay anywhere else Mm -hmm. no thoughts about that she had something (laughs) spill it (laughs) found him interesting altogether with his his willingness to be vulnerable with Marianne And, like, that's the only time he can be real. It's almost like he just had identity issues, you know? Like, he was never real with with her, like, in high school, in public, but he was in private. He was never really accepted or felt like he could be himself in the college scene, right, because of the class 
difference. Mm-hmm. And even though he was really smart, it still wasn't his his group of people. That's not his tribe, you know. And so I feel like I don't know. I just think it's like an, an identity issue. He can only be himself with her. And I I found a lot of parallels from his character, like to real life with with me or with other you know people and friends like we have yes. identity issues and okay where where do I fit in and where can I be real and for some reason they were able to connect in high school and he was able to just be vulnerable and so she kind of became that safe place for him but that makes sense I know um just having kids in that age and watching all those dynamics and saying <coughs> high school is its own little world it's a different kind of system. There's still systems, but it's not necessarily the money, like what she when he steps into her world and that becomes more prevalent and it's it's more at the forefront of everyone's awareness. You know, he was an athlete. So if you take someone who was a star athlete and then they're not in that world anymore, what happens to their sense of identity if that's what they've identified with for so long? Yeah. And in high school, like, he was really smart. And that's why he was attracted to Marianne, partially. Like, they Mm -hmm. connected on an intellectual level. But he had, yeah, sapiosexual. And and so he wasn't able to be real, maybe, with the the jocks and with the athletes. Sure. Um, And so, yeah. So he had to suppress that part of himself. And he, she opened him up to experiencing that with someone else. Oh, yeah. That's it. So the pivotal scene, the college years, is after they have finally figured out they're together. The, despite being so close, they sometimes miscommunicate and misinterpret each other. I would say not just sometimes. <laughs> this can be seen when he, Connell, unable to pay rent in Dublin, moves back to Carrickley to save money during the summer of 2012 after he fails to directly ask Marianne if he can move in with her. How does the structure of normal people oscillate between the experience of both characters during this time reveal the ways in which they misunderstood each other? And how do you think their relationship would have turned out differently if Connell had just stayed with her? Is this a five-part question? (laughs) (laughs) It is. I think the most important part of this question was that it goes back and forth between you get I did like I do like different points of view I don't like just one person's point of view because if you just had her point of view you'd be like he's just a jerk yeah (laughs) which is you know if you're her friend that's good but Mm -hmm. and then same thing with him so she does oscillate between the two of them like what's going on Mm -hmm. it almost seems like to me if this is not an autobiographical book it's at least the people she knows and that maybe she was the friend. There's a friend in the book that sort of stays friends mm-hmm. with both of them. Yes. In college. Definitely. No, I can't remember the uh, name. Joanna. Joanna. Mm-hmm. So I was getting a feeling like that, the, uh, that that was where that came from for the author. But anyway, she does those two different things. And then, so yeah, let's play what ifs. How would their relationship have been different if he had just stayed with her and just said, can I stay here this summer? Or if she had just said... Why don't you stay right. here this summer? I mean, what is so hard about? And I don't, but I do know that kids are well because my daughter has a boyfriend and he's twenty three. But you know, the progression, the way the relationship is progressing, he feels like he's not ready for certain things, and 
Or part of it could be their fear of rejection. I don't want to say it first. I think that's what it was. Yeah. But You say it first. If you put it out there, then... Yeah, he says, like, like I think he even says if she had said, why don't you just stay here, mm-hmm. he probably would have done that. Well, and he was intending to. He just, like, never quite got up the... Verbalize it. You know, mm-hmm. I'll do it. I'll do it later. Well, we all procrastinate about these decisions, don't we? Except he wait. He just never says it. Mm-hmm. He's like, he oh, I guess I'll move to another town because I, I can't <laughs> ask a question. I thought, really? That's very male. <laughs> I, I don't know that I own that as a male, but. <laughs> Is that like not stopping for directions? <laughs> uh, before Google, Google, before Google Maps. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, what what big decision? What you know? What big consequences can come from just a little decision? Like all he had to do was say something, and yeah, you know. and or just float it out there. He didn't have to say, "Can I?" He's like. Gosh, if I could just find a place to live here, I wouldn't have to move home. Yeah, you know, subtly hinted. That's yeah. very southern, though. Irish. <laughs> I'm I'm not Irish. Gosh, sorry. I don't have any lunch. What you're eating looks good. Yeah, no. <laughs> and then the first time he says it, oh, by the way, I've got a girlfriend, and if you would have just let me live with you, I would have. You would be my girlfriend. Well, I don't know if he says it like that, but well, that's the implication. Mm-hmm. And you're like, really? Yeah. I think y'all touched y'all like hit it on the nail when you talked about rejection. I think that he's, he didn't want to be vulnerable or was incapable. No, not incapable. He just chose not to be vulnerable. Scared? Yeah, he didn't want to be rejected. And I think the book would have been over had he asked. And, you know, probably they would have lived happily. <laughs> you wouldn't well, have any conflict, would you? Yeah. <laughs> this leads me to a question about, because this is in, it's very modern times. They talk about texting and it's it's different. So does this have something to do with the communication deficit that's maybe caused by some of that? Because there's such a fear of running those things face-to-face? Maybe? That's a good idea. Uh, I I would say it's more the fear because you can communicate more easily. Or do you think you can? I don't know that I would say, hey, can I move in with you by text? I don't know. Hashtag let me know soon. <laughs> I but do. you might say, oh, shoot, I'm my, my house is gone. What am I going to do? Hashtag, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think that communicating in person adds an entirely new level of just risk. Um, yeah. Like we can hide behind texting or social media and we can be more bold or abrasive or vulnerable. Quote, that's in quotes. But it makes me think of, like, Brene Brown. She talks about, like, being courageous and vulnerability and, and communication and how, how hard it is for people in, gener- in general. And so, I don't know. I just, I think that, I don't know. I don't know that I have an actual answer to the question, so I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> is, that a, is it an author plot problem in that part? I mean, is that realistic? Would someone, if it was that big a deal, not bring it up? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, totally. I do. I mean. Yep. I, yeah. I would. I was not in that situation, but, like, I can totally see me doing that and avoiding. Yeah. So that isn't Rooney, the, you know, swerving. It's, it's just her getting real life, you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. There's a part in the book where he goes to the reading, and, um. 
I just thought this as you know we're looking at all this this these are literary awards and so but there is sort of this internal commentary about literature so he went to so maybe we know how the author feels about doing readings he's disillusioned by the contrived and stale performance he witnesses during the reading at the college and says it was culture as class performance literature fetishized for its ability to take educated people on false emotional journeys (laughs) All books were ultimately marketed as status symbols, and all writers participated to some degree in this marketing. Presumably, this was how the industry made money. Literature, in the way it appeared at these public readings, had no potential as a form of resistance to anything. Highly critical. Do we, do, do, how, what are y'all's thoughts about that? Do you agree with that assessment about readings and the way books are promoted? Or is this very cynical? Well, everything in marketing is a little bit like that. I mean, let's be real. It is what it is. You're trying to sell books. I mean, you want to write from your soul, but then you also want to live. People can buy your books from their souls. (laughs) If you didn't want that, then you would keep it to yourself, and it'd be called a journal. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. I like the fetish. Like, I would go to a reading. Yeah, I, I like lo- readings. I like too. readings. Me too. I do. Um, like David Sedaris. I love David Sedaris. He's the best. Yeah, he, I love to hear him. And read that's his all he does. Life. He travels everywhere and he reads his books and it sells his books. And like he's but Connell doesn't he like people. Trash. Connell doesn't yes, like he people though. Trash. He's not. He's not. No, he's not a normal person. He he is an he is an introvert. <laughs> but would you say Myers David Briggs Sedaris is probably not an extroverted person? Really, he's pretty. I think he's just. Probably very well practiced in what he's doing. Yeah, I think he's well. They have they have that act. He wanted to be an actor, so I think he's probably comfortable being on stage. You know, mm-hmm. some writers probably have are like don't want any part of the marketing and stuff, but they just have to do it, and maybe they hate it. But I thought that it was interesting that she, as an author, and she her first book was pretty well accepted. That she would throw this in, and then they would still nominate her for the award. Well, sometimes truth, when you publish something that is kind of shames an industry a little bit, it's kind of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. So, do you, so the next question in that about that part, were you surprised to find such a critique of literature in a recently published book? No. Mm-hmm. Not really? I laughed at it. Yeah, I did. I wasn't surprised. No. Do you think that by illuminating prejudices and injustices, as well as commonalities that exist between people, literature might still serve an important social purpose? Yes, I hope absolutely. So. That's what we want. Yeah. And it was funny that Connell got along with the author after shaming his the author's book and the author the you know the in the book the author uh-huh. um, is someone he connects to. And they yeah they go and they drink and stay out too late. Who would have thought that? Yeah, and he yeah. But he was so, at that point, he was so depressed and didn't want to do anything and didn't want to go anywhere. And went, Frankly, I think he's just really disappointed by people. Like, people were disappointing people him all him. over the place. Mm-hmm. He was letting them. He was and it was his fault, too. But Saviosexual. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- that occurred to me when, he's, when he met the author. Did y'all get a little, like, he liked him and he... I almost yes. thought, like, wait, are we going to go Too somewhere? Smart Is he going to? It was the same kind of level of attraction. Is this going to go gay? I don't. I just was like thinking it, but it, then it didn't. Yeah. But I think it was a definitely a, an attraction. I think it would be brain. hilarious to watch Connell struggle with that, though, with all his <laughs> hang-ups. Like, oh my gosh, what's happening? I like this guy. 
<laughs> I want to hit him. <laughs> right. I don't know why. Well, let's see if he respects or he reacts to the hit differently than Marianne. <laughs> well, that's funny. We talked about it being thematically structured like a 19th century romantic literature piece. But I do have... Like, Who's Mr. Darcy? Yeah. Well, yeah. He has trouble saying things too, doesn't he? But for Abby, because this is her generation of people, I mean, I'm going off. They graduate from high school in 20, I can't remember. 2011, something like that. 11, 2012. Yeah. That's just a little bit older than, than my kids. So do you, they've said she, that this particular writer, Sally Rooney, is a voice. She's young. She's 28. That she's sort of a voice of this big time and in the world with young people's experiences. How do you feel about that as a young person of the world, right? (laughs) (laughs) I can kind of agree with it. She does an excellent job of utilizing communication techniques that we use, you know, so social media, we've already talked about this. Um, Yeah. yeah. Also just the, the way that relationships are between guys and girls and just like, there's no definition and there's kind of fluidity and, I just think she does an excellent job of kind of yeah. portraying. And that's a different thing, right? It's yeah. not, things aren't as easily decided. I've learned that from my daughter and, well, now unfortunately myself, but the way that things have changed. <laughs> like, what is happening to me right now? But yeah, it's so different. The rules are different. Everything's yeah. changed. So it's not as easy to know. You're kind of, I'll ask, you know, are you, so is that your boyfriend? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But We're that's, just talking. But that's normal. Yeah. And that's, yeah. That's and they normal go out in people. groups and they don't couple <laughs> like, you know, they did years ago. It's different. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about any of the labels of that, but they just, yes. she describes it really Not well. La- no labeling. <clears throat> nothing is very concrete. So, yeah, there is a lot of fluidity. So I'm, I would I would say so. I think she's a good voice for our generation. An accurate, rep- an yeah. accurate, accurate representer, representation. Well, good. So I'm glad you read it so that you can. You can assist us with that important <laughs> generational insight. I kind of skipped over one thing about the both of them undergo these crises during their later years in college. For instance, she goes to Sweden and becomes disassociated from herself completely. Does has the eating disorder? Won't eat. Crazy photographer. Has the crazy relationship with the photographer. Who? That's interesting. When he says "I love you," while he's tying her up, she loses it. She didn't want him to say that. Well, and it was hard to see from his part. They did not give him much character development. Yeah. No, his, other he than was his kind of a, name, Lucas a with thing a K. over here, a name. <laughs> but you're like, well, how do we know he loves her? He, he said yeah. it. No, I thought he was going to kill her. Behavior. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did too. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was going to go bad quickly. Okay, and he suffers from his depression after the friend commits suicide and he goes back to school and she's not there. Mm-hmm. She's doing her Erasmus year or whatever they call it in. College, <laughs> in college in Europe, so she's not there, and he finds himself like I, I actually the part I was like yeah I've been there. He's laying on the floor <laughs> in his bathroom. Mm-hmm. He can see the bed, but he has no will to get up and go mm-hmm. over. He just lays on the floor. I think she does depression well. Yeah, describing yeah. it like the you're in a fog and you know you should get out of the fog, but you don't feel like it right now, so you'll just. He'll just sit Chill in. out there. Mm-hmm. 
So I like his friend, Niall, that told him to go to the campus counseling agency. I was like, oh, Niall, yay. <laughs> A good character. <laughs> so they both have those experiences. Do you think, and we, we can get some professional opinions, do you think that people are generally more vulnerable to internal crises, crises, or crises and mental health issues in their late teens and early 20s? I think that's when it starts, but I think any age group has, you know, issues. Sort of like I was seeing it like they're sort of in college and like the, you're in college. They've learned how to be in college. They've learned how to who they're going to be in college. And then now it's not what they exactly thought it was going to be. And also they have to think about the future. Mm-hmm. So Theoretically, like you have crisis. more transitions in it's college. It's a lot of transitions. In college age. They, they have yet to find partners for life if they choose to do that. And so they're, they're kind of still not – they're not nested yet. No. So statistically, there's a pretty high suicide rate there is. At that, with that age group. Well, and with them, with them being such like brainiacs, not being in that structure and that environment of academia, I'm sure just like weighed a lot on them. Like I'm on summer break right now and it's been like a month and I'm so excited to go back to school because I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what to do with myself, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, it's been nice and refreshing, but... You need structure. I now. need I need that pressure. Occupation. And, and I need that intellectual like stimulation. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And um, that could be part of their their identity as well. You know. And so who who am I outside of school? Outside of this life? You know. It didn't talk about much of their numbing besides alcohol. I noticed. Like we binge Netflix, Amazon. I didn't hear any of that stuff. And. But we did a lot of drinking and sex. But no drugs, and that was good. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That was interesting. Did they they do pot? There was, I think there was reference to pot at some point, and there was also cocaine reference at some Mm -hmm. point. Wasn't that early on? That was college. Was that early college, man? With the weird, with the rich kids, which makes sense, you know, they can afford the cocaine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So... I did think I like the re- I do I'm glad the way I like the way that Patrick put it the representation of depression and like that especially in that and that they have the friend who speaks up and says something so if she truly is trying to say what it's like so with two you know with one kid in college myself they hit the mental health stuff hard at the beginning like at the orientations and what are, what are the things to look for and the phone calls you're going to expect to get and. You know, if there's one, you know, how do you know when it's one too many tearful phone calls? Or alternately, how do you identify, like, substance abuse? And read between the lines. Yeah. they're not saying. So I kind of like that it was the friend. I mean, his mother seemed very almost, I mean, I like Lorraine. (laughs) A little hands off. But very, yeah. She didn't dig deep at all when she questioned him. Mm -hmm. It's your life. Do whatever. Yeah. Well, because she didn't have any real parenting skills. She was 15. Yeah. And she had to work hard. Yeah. So I like that example of here's your friend, and your friend said, go to the campus counseling center. Because that's like the little thing that you hear now at colleges. Like, you know, if you have a friend who you can see something's wrong, you should say something. His his honest interaction with the counselor was hilarious. (laughs) I love it. I'm going to lie and tell her that I'm going to read this. Yes, yes, (laughs) ma'am. Been there, done that, have you? Yeah, I'm going to do all these things. You say to do whatever. I'm leaving. I'm going to go lay on the floor somewhere. I mean, right. <laughs> that's kind of what I got from the end. Because that chapter ends very okay. abruptly. And you don't. 
And he does say, I mean, he does he, he does say something about medication at some point. So he did follow through mm-hmm. eventually yeah. with it, but I, I don't think, think he had the intent to. Throughout time in literature, people talk about what we know as depression. It's a big part of it. It's a part of the human experience and deep feelings and sadness. But there's never really... This book is interesting because you can see now how things are evolving and there's uh, a discussion about actually reaching out and getting help in whatever way it's neat because that's really important and it's never, you know, that's something that I think we'll be seeing more along with all of the other new technology. So In, in situations discussed in, in books, kind of, yes. that kind of thing? Yeah, where it's not a you know self-help book and you're actually yeah. have reading this in a piece of literature it's i think it's good i do too mm-hmm. i was going to recommend that my daughter read it she's mm-hmm. and i'll just and all i have to say is she's supposed to be the voice of your generation the author there so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then i'll say abby liked yeah. it um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a good psychological question to you Considering the highs and lows of the of Connell and Marianne's relationship and that they're never officially together, do you think they could have ever had a normatively structured boyfriend-girlfriend relationship? No. I don't think they were emotionally mature to do that. Mm-mm. Too insecure. Yeah. I don't think it had any as much to do with distance as it did their emotional distance and the fact that neither was really had the courage to be honest with how, about how they felt. You know, I it's think like, they could have done it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a lot of movies where you're watching the whole time and they never quite connect and you're about to knock on the door and then you walk away and you're watching, you're going, oh gosh, why don't you just get it together? But then at the end, they get it together usually. Well, where would they have done a different path? <laughs> I think page 80. <laughs> <laughs> If he had just taken her to the Debs dance, it would have all been different. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, he did. That was a major blunder on his part. Yeah. Okay, so at the end of the book, Connell is offered the place in the MFA program in New York. And Marion thinks he brought her goodness like a gift, and now it belongs to her. Meanwhile, his life is opening before him. They've done a lot of good for each other. Really, she thinks, really, people can really change one another. In what ways did you see Marianne and Connell change each other's lives? <laughs> Abby first. <laughs> Five words or less. How did they change each other? I can't answer this because I actually didn't finish. The book. <laughs> oh. 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 <laughs> All right, Iris. <laughs> you'll, you'll be very sad. How then. they changed each other's lives? How did they go? I think he tried to normalize her, and and she tried to bring him down because she was so dysfunctional. Yes, she came by it naturally. I mean, that's like the second part of the question: is Do you worry about what would hap- what could happen to Marianne without Connell? Yes. Yeah, I second what could happen to Marianne without Connell. But actually, if that he took her out of her house was major, mm-hmm. because the, oh my gosh, that was horribly dysfunctional. But I think she's a really normal person outside those circumstances, probably, or a really healthy person. Um, and I think that they both took risks probably based on the, uh, the motivation of getting to know the other. Mm-hmm. Like the, their attraction to each other was so much that they, they really gravitated toward each other. And, it, you know, they took risks. He submitted the, the, the writing, and I don't think it was just because of that girl. 
the, the I can't remember. Oh, her Sadie. Name. Mm-hmm. I think that he was writing because Mary Ann was. Uh, oh, this is really good. I think they respected each other a lot, even though, you know, just inwardly and how they they cared about each other's opinion and opened each other up to to a different. I don't know. He's he needed to open up a little more, and she needed to be a little more grounded. So they helped each other in that way. And maybe they took that in their next endeavor in relationship. Yeah, they did ask the author if she's going to revisit them. You, you've read point. enough to the TV show. Will re, will I guess the TV extend? Yes. I guess that'll be interesting. Maybe she'll follow him to New York, or maybe she won't. Mm-hmm. Maybe he who will, will watch the TV show? York. Episode twelve. I'll watch. I'll it. watch it. I'll watch it. <laughs> As long as I can stream it when I want to at three o'clock in the morning. Okay, so the last question, which is sort of the basis of the title of the book. At times we see Marianne considers herself intrinsically damaged and unlovable and bad. In other words, she believes she will never be a normal person. Having read about their innermost insecurities, feelings of alienation, sexual drives, desires... And so forth. Do you think that Connell and Marianne are any more or less normal than other people? And what qualifies a person as normal? And do you think that such a completely normal person exists? Hmm. Melanie. Um, normal. Well, there was a lot that, that was threaded throughout the story that where I think Connell in particular would talk about, well, I feel like, you know, I'm in this new relationship and it's normal. So it's better than what I had with Marianne because we're normal people. We're just you know, average. I don't know. It depends on what you, what your perception of normal is. For some people, it might be boring. Maybe you don't want to be normal. So I think they are both pretty like the rest of us in so many ways, you know, just trying to, trying to fit in or not fit in when appropriate. The title gives the point that normal people are not really normal. Mm-hmm. I, no, I agree. I mean, the title did not help you know, set the, st- the stage for the book. So I did look through the book to see where, where they actually use the phrase normal people. And it's only in two parts. There's only, it's only said twice. The first time is sort of an insignificant thing. Well, I can go back and read it. Hang on. She's talking about the boys that like her at college when she becomes kind of popular. And she's giving her rundown of her romantic options. And she says... One of the groups of people who hit on her are committee members of college clubs who are dressed in black tie frequently and who inexplicably believe that the internal workings of student societies are interesting to normal people. I was like, okay, no. But the other, that's sort of just normal people, and I don't think that she really, I mean, maybe she did mean to put that in there, but the part that stuck out at me that seems more appropriate is uh, when they're in Europe, in the house, and the boyfriend, she breaks up with the boyfriend or whatever, and then she ends up spending the rest of the night with him in his room, but she doesn't. But they don't have sex. Probably the only time they don't have sex. After They're laying there in the dark, and after a time, he hears her say something he can't make out. I didn't hear that, he says. I don't know what's wrong with me, says Marianne. I don't know why I can't be like normal people. Her voice sounds oddly cool and distant, like a recording of her voice played after she herself has gone away. In what way, he says. I don't know why I can't make people love me. I think there was something wrong with mm-hmm. me when I was born. And then he makes her cry. I mean, she cry. He, she makes him cry. 
And he doesn't even want to say that because he's just trying to be reassuring and says, your friends and family love you. And she was like, oh, my gosh, have you met my family? (laughs) They hate me. But there's other instances where the word normal is. Normal. say normal people. I guess it's normal normal people. But same thing, like when he's, I can't remember right now the name of the person he was dating, but. Helen. Yeah, Helen, Helen, Helen. And he says, you know, well, it's okay. Like, he's trying to talk himself into, it's okay, and Marianne's over there, and that's fine. I don't, you know, because this is good because it's, we're normal. So, I feel like that was a theme that I picked up on throughout. Because every time I'd hear the word, I would, you know, my little antenna would go up. So. Oh, yeah. it's in a, Normal is actually in here way more than normal mm-hmm. people. And it's in reference to when he is depressed. He talks about trying to act normal. Mm-hmm. Um, As expected. Maybe. And a lot when she when they're in high school, there's a lot of normal, normal. Like, why can't you just act normal instead of you know when he goes to lunch and he tries to act normal so that no one will know that he's bedding her. And <laughs> bedding, 18th century word. <laughs> yes. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> he was doing what? <laughs> there's so many euphemisms, really. <laughs> but they were just having sex. You know, his, well, question. it is. It's in there a lot. I mean, he, like he runs into her and he says, oh, and it just everything was normal. Mm-hmm. And it's like anything but normal. Really. Mm-hmm. Well, it is, or they've normalized this type of relationship with no labels and no commitment kind of verbalized. It's the new normal. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it shows, it just shows uncovered stuff. And there's a lot of, you know. Things that people don't say or manifest that you can see in the book because she's narrating it. Yeah, what qualifies as normal? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all a little bit weird. We are weird. <laughs> Human beings. Okay. Makes me want to read something else. Is this her second book? Her second book, yeah. Mm. The first one's called Conversations with Friends. Yeah. And it was what she wrote like right out of her MFA program. Hmm. Yeah, she's very young. Yeah, I would like to read the now that apparently that that is a similar in style kind of book to this one, and so Iris and I would have trouble with no no punctuation. Listen to it. <laughs> so we'll listen. Yeah. Right. Especially if it's so. Did y'all enjoy the audio version? Give a yes. A well, and you can review. on Kindle, you can do both at the same time. Oh, that's nice. So it's special. Yeah, I enjoyed the audio book. It's good. <clears throat> I did too. All right. <clears throat> So I will we'll wrap it up because we're right at an hour. Any other closing thoughts about normal people? What if you could ask the author a question? What would you ask her? Who did you base the book on? Mm-hmm. Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'll, I'll be about. As usual, if anybody would like the audio version, they call us. Sign up for services four three two six eight two two seven three one, or email. Stephanie at recordinglibrary.org. And our book for next month will be Manhattan Beach by Jennifer Egan. And it's good. <laughs> we already have a pre-review. The 2018 Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction. And I have read one of, I've read another book by her. So I think it'll be far different than this. And I know it's a little bit longer. Too. How long was the audio? How many hours was it? Know. It's like seven. Yeah, not mm-hmm. a lot. Because it's only a 200-page book. So, 
All right. Well, we'll see y'all back here in September for Manhattan Beach. Thank you for joining us for the Recording Library of West Texas award-winning book club, premiering on the first Thursday of the month at 7 p.m. Thanks to our volunteers who participated in today's reading. To listen again, find our show as a podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at our website at recordinglibrary.org.